the Sales Influence Podcast, where we talk about finding the why and how people buy. I'm your host, Victor Antonio. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for letting me your ears. If you're watching me on YouTube, thank you for letting me the eyeballs. Today, I have a good friend, a very special guest, Mario McCracken, a.k.a. Eminem. How you doing, Mario? <laughs> hey, Vic. <laughs> Nice to be with you. It's an honor. Thank you. Mario, man. So this this is like overdue because you and I have known each other for how long have we known each other? We met in the spring of 2007, I think. That's what I was going to guess. 2007. Or the fall of 2006, but I think it was the spring of 2007 yeah. when we met. Yeah. And so so I, I'm going to give the audience a little background on how we met. Uh, we'll talk about some of that because I think there's some cool, interesting sales stuff there. And then we'll fast forward. I want to talk about your new book with the longest title I've ever seen uh, <laughs> and then go through some of that content. So uh, in 2007, I was asked to, to work with a company. Uh, I forgot the name of the company. Already. What's the name of the company? Can we say it? Uh, oh, I think EvTech Media Stores Online had a couple right. different names. The Stores Online, I think, was like the, the public name. Right. And so so Stores Online basically had a it, – it's it's a web-based application where you can build, obviously, a website, but also you had all this back office, uh, you know, um, uh, features to actually manage your inventory and sell a different, you know, different uh, currencies and so forth and so on. And so I was brought in as one of – I think you had six trainers at the time, and I was brought in as number seven. My job was to basically get in front of the room and show people how the software worked at a full-day workshop. Uh, I met Mario because he was one of the salespeople in the room that would help close some of those deals. Does that about accurately describe what we went through? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You were the trainer, um, expert salesperson from the front of the room, and my job was to help these business owners or soon-to-be business owners kind of get up and running on their online presence, do their SEO, do their marketing and kind of stuff. So yeah, my job was a sales consultant. My first job out of college, actually. So I was brand new, fresh in the game. Yeah. And by the way, that that is that's got to be one of the best out of the gate experiences, right? Because that was like uh, to really give us some context for those of you listening. You had to sell, so we had I'm going to say 200 people in the room, and out of those 200 people, I would present the whole day, train them, and then folks like Mario, and depending on how big the size was, you had five or six other salespeople in the room, help these business owners really understand the product, what it can do for their business, the marketing side, inventory management, so forth and so on. And then at the end of the day, we would close. And I think the price points were like, I think it was 2500 3000 or 6000 something in there. And there were days where we would walk out of there where, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars worth of business. And that's that to me, that's why I learned the art of selling the room. What was your perspective? Yeah, it was I didn't know how good of a masterclass that experience was because I got to close multiple deals every single day for the every day of the week, six days a week. So it was pretty incredible to have that experience. But yeah, and the different price points allowed you to talk to different people. But it was just, yeah, it was a very, there's a lot of education that happened in a really short period of time, I think. And the thing is, I think that's what's missing today, Mario, because this is an important piece. I don't want to blow over this one too quick because this is really important. In that day, you got to, I'll just say, practice your clothes on 5, 10, 20, 30 people, right? Exactly. In yeah. one day, in one day. During yeah. the whole day, right? And then, depending on whose schedule you were on, we would do back-to-back, right, day after day. So sometimes it would be a five-day week. Sometimes it would be a six-day week. So yeah. imagine if you, you had to do 30 closes in one day, multiply that by six, run the numbers. That's a lot of practice. And, and so, exactly. so, so, so talk a little bit about that experience as compared to a lot of people who won't probably have to close one deal every month. They don't have the practice. Yeah, I think – 
you get nervous a couple times maybe when you have to go for the close, but after doing it 10 times in a day, you're 11th. There's no way you're nervous anymore. You have to get it done because if you don't, you don't get to the 30th person that might need your help. And it's all about how many people can you help in that kind of environment. But on top of the closing, you get the openings too because in the middle of the day, in the beginning of the day, you have to meet the people, talk to them. So you get the full cycle from in one day, which it's a very accelerated program for sure. It is. It's, so again, to give people full context is that the people arrive in the morning. And so depending on where you were sat in the room, you would be assigned a salesperson like Mario. So Mario would obviously introduce himself at the beginning of the day, uh, kind of nurture you, hold your hand if you have any questions or any issues. He was always your person to talk to in your zone or section. And so you're right. You had about I don't know, three to five touch points with the client throughout the day. And that made the process that much easier. So coming out of college to have that experience, man, you were lucky. That's like an accelerated sales program right there. Yeah, I had to learn the reverse later when I went to other sales jobs where I had to learn how to prospect and find my own leads and those kind of things. So I took the reverse where I learned how to close very well, very at the very beginning. I had that experience. And then I had to learn how to find people later. So, But I think for me, it was really, really good. I, I, I got the, the hard part, I think, out of the way. That is so, I never looked at it that way, right? Because the prospecting was already done. People were put in the room already. Exactly, to, yeah. It's kind of cool if you think about it, right? You just focused on closing. Yeah, yeah. Discovery, finding out their questions, their needs, right? Finding out their pain points, all that kind of stuff that's super important. But most people in sales today, they don't get to do that until they're more senior. Yeah. So what did you, I mean, let's go back to that because I'm sure there's people out there who are just starting out in sales. You know, like what was it about that process? What did you discover about the process? What was like the, the, the Eminem McCracken secret sauce that you said, you know, I kind of figured out my formula, my, my, my approach, my cadence, my sequence. What, you know, walk us through some of that, some of those little aha discovery moments. Well, there there were so many kind of challenges. Anytime you thought you were doing good, something would change or you wouldn't do as good the next day. It was kind of almost like a sporting event where one day something's working, but then the next day the defense learns what you're doing and you don't know how to do it anymore. And so I think a lot of the change came from self-reflection. I still remember one night when you were sitting in a hotel, you were sitting on a couch reading a book and I walked by and I'm like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just reading this book. I'm like, but you're already an expert. Like, why are you trying to get better? You're like the master and everything. And you you said something to the effect of, Hey, if I'm not getting better, I'm just going to be getting worse. I'm like, that's probably why I'm getting worse because I'm not actually getting better. So mm-hmm. that kind of inspired my journey to start reading sales books at that time, actually. But I think a big part of it is you really have to try to really put yourself in the other person's shoes. So empathy doesn't really exist. You can never actually know what someone else is going through, but you can try to have empathy. And I think if you try to have empathy, then you're much better to, much more likely to ask better questions. And the better questions gets the better responses, and the better responses, you have better engagement, better trust, and from there you can help them make good decisions. So I'm going to challenge you on this one, okay? I'm going to ask you to go a little deeper on this because I think this will be interesting. You know, everybody mentions empathy. You know, you know, talk me through what empathy means to you. Like, you know, because you talk about it in your book and I'm going to have to read it because I can't remember this long time. No one really cares about you. They only care about what you do for them. Subtitle, how everyone can use the power of caring to earn trust, grow sales and increase income no matter what you sell or how you sell it to. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) so Because the chapters are so short, the title had to be long. Yeah, (laughs) I love it. The walk me through what you like. You know, maybe your strategies for creating empathy or, you know, getting in sync in terms of empathy. What do you do? What do you listen for? You know, just give me some strategies. 
So you, because you, your life experiences are going to be different than someone else's life experiences, even if you grew up in the same town, same, same social economic standards, same everything, your experiences are still going to be different. So you can never really know how different experiences are going to affect that person. You might have gone through the same traumatic expense as a child or the same sporting events. You played the same sports in high school or whatever, but you're not going to really know how they perceived it. So the only way to build empathy, I think, is to ask questions that aren't manipulative. If you ask them and they can feel the sincerity with the question that you're asking, that's the, the gateway to build trust. I think that's the starting point of trust is asking sincere questions and then trying to take their viewpoint from it without judging. And I think all of us judge and we have to on a daily basis, we judge every situation. We judge, are we safe or are we scared? Do we need to work harder? Do we need to work smarter? Like we're always judging. But I think the hardest part is taking off that judgment mentality and then just looking at the person and asking them sincere questions that they can feel it sincere. And from there, lots of things are possible. I love that. You know, in these public seminars that we did, we had, I mean, we had the gamut of people that would come through the door, right? Yeah. You know, from A to Z, from little money to a lot of money, right? And everything in between. You know, can you recall a moment or maybe a, a one client that, you know, kind of made you like reevaluate what empathy is or does anything come to mind? Because, I mean, you had so many experiences. I'm wondering if there's some that's still like, you know what I mean? Circle around in your head. Yeah, there it was in South Carolina. Um, I was working with a client and I was trying to figure out strategies to help them get started. They didn't know how to get started and they were trying to figure out and we talked about all these things. And it was even though so I grew up in a situation where. My mom, single mom, raised six of us by herself, right? We, we struggled. She, of course, there's paycheck to paycheck. We all had jobs ever since we were 11 outside the home to help the family, right? All the kids support helped. And, but we still always had a bank account. We never, I never went through the experience where my mom didn't have a bank account. So then when I was talking to this client that their situation was so in the, in the red, I guess, that they couldn't even have a bank account. And that to me, shook me to a core saying of anybody in the world, they need what I'm helping them with right now. Mm -hmm. But how can I help them when they don't even have a bank account? And that was just really made me think just because I assume everybody in the world is one way, that doesn't mean it's true, especially in the United States where I thought, oh, everybody must have a bank account. You get a bank account when you turn 18 or 16 and you have one the rest of your life. I didn't know that it was possible to not have a bank account. And that was just my ignorance, right? My naivete. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that, then it said, I better ask a lot more questions. Because what if there's a lot of people I talked to in the past year that didn't, and I didn't know, right? Like, I have to ask different questions to get to know them better. And so I think that really inspired me to th take it a little slower and not make so drastic assumptions at the very beginning. See, I was going to ask you that because it, it does force you to kind of, as you say, ask more questions, not be so in a rush to get through the discovery process just so you get to your pitch. Yeah. And I think that's something you learn over time that, you you know, the whole thing, you slow down the speed up type of thing yeah. in the sales process. Uh, you said something earlier. I think it's really important because I think it can help you or hurt you depending on how you look at it. And that is when you look at someone, look at someone visually, you know, we often tend to make, you know, judgments biases that we have right and it, it you know can you tell me of an, an, uh, a situation where you just looked at somebody and i'm not and i'm not i'm talking about just looked at somebody go they can't afford it or they they're not interested or you know they don't look like they're going to buy and then you realize after questioning that maybe you were wrong yeah so i used to i guess i still probably do but when someone appears standoffish my assumption is they're prideful or cocky or arrogant or they think they're better than me. They don't want to talk to me, right? And that 
has impacted how I would approach them. I would have less confidence and I would think, oh, they think they're better than me, whatever it was. And so there was a very specific situation and I've had it multiple times, but I really remember one where I was getting to know this business owner who was wearing a Rolex and he was super well-dressed, you know, leather sandal, leather shoes, no socks, you know, super well-dressed, had a Rolex. I think it was probably down in Florida and I could tell he was successful, but he, at first I thought he was very standoffish. I thought he was prideful and arrogant. But then once I got to know him after a while, he was just super, super shy. And he wore those clothes and that appearance to make himself feel better because he was so shy and so introverted. And so it wasn't because he thought he was better than anybody. He actually had the reverse problem. He had low confidence, but he was very successful in what he did. He just wanted to change and do something else. And so it just caused me to reevaluate saying, hey, just because someone appears one way, that if you treat them that way, you're never going to know what's the real situation. Well, I love that example because it, you see that a lot. It's like salespeople psych themselves out because they commit what was called a fundamental attribution error. They attribute something to somebody. And, you know, again, at the end of the day, we're all people trying to make through this world. You know what I mean? In this yeah, life. So, exactly. I, I, so, so I want to, I want to shift gears here because I want to talk about your book. And, and you know, I, I've known you for a while, obviously, as we mentioned already. Uh, but I've been wanting to ask you, like, you know, yeah. what prompted this? Cause you have a lot of great, you know, speakers, trainers, consultants in here. I mean, give me the, the genesis of the idea. And then let's walk through some of the, the, the highlights of the book. So ever since I started studying sales, like pretty heavily in 2007, I started my career in 2006, but then you know, in 2007, I started really reading and studying. I, I've been taking notes on everything I've been reading. And that helps me remember and it helps me learn. And so I've read over 300 sales books. And it's basically, I couldn't, Everything was super, super good. And people are always asking, oh, what book should I read? And I'll say, well, I say, well, you have to know, well, what's your situation? What, what, what are you currently working on? What are you trying to do better? What is your weakness? What are you trying to do? And so I put together these lists. And it was always like, well, you have to read these seven books. Or you have to read these ten books. And there was never, I couldn't just say, hey, just read one book and you're fine. And it's still not that way. There's, that'll never happen, right? But what I wanted to do was put together a kind of manual where instead of somebody having to focus and read a book and really study it, that they could pick up a book, read a chapter, and it would help them that day right away. They could go apply it right away. So I took like the 100 most important things that I felt I learned and put it into a book in chapter format with supporting messages from people that I really respect and admire and try to say, hey, this will be a book that will help everybody no matter your area in sales. And if you want to study it deeper, then you can go study it deeper. But this at least gives you the foundation to make changes today. It's almost like the tip of the spear, right? Here goes, yeah. you know, pick, pick your poison and then go deep in it. I have people ask me the same question, like, what sales book would you recommend? I'm like, as you point out, well, what's your pain point? What are you trying to solve? <laughs> you know, where are you at in the sales process? And yeah. everybody wants the silver bullet, as you've realized, and I've realized, obviously, there is no silver bullet. You just keep studying, keep adjusting. Every situation is different. You know, what surprised you about, you know, can, putting a book together? I mean, it, it's just not easy. This, this is like yeah. commitment. So congratulations on this, Mario. You know what were the what were some of the uh, like aha moments for you? Some like like oh didn't expect that one or that came from left field. I mean, give me some stories here. Give me some good well, stories. Give, give me give me some juice, man. Give me some juice. So I it, part of it was I, as I was putting it together. After I was almost ha about halfway through, I said, "No, nah, I'm not going to do this. Nobody's going to read it. It's not. It's pointless. It's not going to happen." And then my wife said, "Hey, where's how's your book? Where is it?" And I'm like, "I just kind of I'm not going to do it." And she's like. Are you kidding me? After all these 15 years of what you've been studying, you're not going to put it together. No, you have to put it together. So that was an aha moment saying you need people in your corner, right? That's the right. second was 
this book should have been four or 500 pages, but I had to cut it down to a little over 200, right? So mm-hmm. it was just the amount of material you have to cut is more than you're allowed to keep in most books. And that was the hard part, saying what is actually going to help me and help other people at the same time. And that was right. really, really hard. So, so is, there, is there like a part two? Are you kind of like, you know, setting me up for a part two of this? Is that what you're doing? No, no, no. The, 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 this book itself, there won't be a part two. But okay. it, it, you could. You could have every chapter could be five times as long, right? Mm-hmm. And so you could right. then have a book that's 500, 600, 700 pages, right? But that yeah. doesn't – nobody reads that. And the way the book was formatted was – to be easily read and easily remembered. That's why there's different fonts in there. There's different spacing techniques used. It's supposed to be read quickly, but remember easily without having to read like a chapter where, where you have like 300 pages, words on a page or whatever, 100 words on a page. It's, it's, it's supposed to be remembered and easier to remember. The Twitter generation, yeah. right? I, by the way, yeah. I agree. You know, it's, it, you use the different fonts, right? So, and then I saw some of the, uh, when you highlight certain topics or certain quotes, I said, oh, he's using pattern interrupts throughout this whole thing, switching it up and make it, as you say, more digestible, consumable, bite-sized chunks. And so, again, somebody can go in, read a chapter, which is typically about, I'll say, maybe two, three pages, and get what you want. And then, as you say, if you want to go dig deeper, boom, go down that rabbit hole. The, and, and I look at this. I'm glad you actually wrote it. I'm glad you had the, your wife in your corner saying, come on, <laughs> get it out there. One of the things you know, uh, that, that I admire about you, Mario, is that you know, I, I follow you on social media, especially on LinkedIn mostly, and you have a way of connecting with people on social media. Like you'll put up a post and I don't know, you have an ungodly amount of views or, you know, reactions. And I'm always like, how does he do that? How does he do that? What do you think is, and I know you're going to be modest, try not to be modest, okay? Think of the people that are listening that you might want to help. What is it that you do? consistently, I think it's probably the key part here, consistently that garners you that type of response slash attention. Warranted, by the way, very well warranted. So I don't like experts in general. And so for me, <laughs> when, when I, I, I believe... By the way, that's a great opening line. I don't like experts in general. <laughs> I believe you need to be an expert. You need to get yeah, expertise. Yeah. But most of the time when you read stuff from experts, it's you read it and you know they're the best and that you're the student. And I hate that. I really don't like that. So everything I write, I try to put it where if I was reading it, would I feel more on an equal playing field with that person? Would I be learning with them? Would I be, yes, they're sharing wisdom, but it's more like you're talking to your best friend where when you and your best friend are chit-chatting about anything, uh, about what you did last weekend or what you're going to, or you're studying for a testing call, whatever you're doing, you're equals. And so you talk to each other in a way that doesn't make them feel worse about themselves and you feel better about yourself. It's your equals. And that's how I try to write. I just try to say, hey, I learned this. So how can I share it in a way that doesn't put me above them, but still at the same time shares what I learned? And if everybody did that, we'd all learn from each other. And I think that's what I try to do. I don't always do it right, but that's what I try to do. I think you do it more right than often. By the way, that's great insight. I never would have thought of that. I mean, that's, you know, it goes back to our lessons, right? Back in the, in the room, eye level is by level, right? So yeah. you just, you got to be, it's almost peer to peer, eye level is by level. And that, that's why I admire, because I, I would see your post and I'm going, uh, you're very casual in your conversation. I just never looked at it that way. But another thing I noticed about you, and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong, is that you're very generous with your compliments and your acknowledgments of other people, said experts you don't like, right? So, I mean, talk to me about that because I think you're you're one of the most generous, 
posters on LinkedIn I've ever come across. Well, yeah, what comes around goes around, right? Karma um, mm -hmm. or Robert Cialdani's influence principle of reciprocal. I can't even say that word, but it reciprocates, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a hard word for me. And, and I was born and raised in the U.S., so that's, that's not good. But um, yeah, so I think if you do things for other people, they're more likely to do things back for you. And so there's an ulterior motive, but there's also a kindness motive too. The, the more kind you are, eventually other people are going to see it. And even if that person isn't kind to you back, other people are going to see it and they'll be kind to you. So as long as you're doing it from a good place in your heart, it's a win-win for everybody. And that's how you create win-wins. I, I think that's what it is. I, I haven't been able to put a word on it, but I'm, I'm going to give it, I'm going to call it the kindness factor. I think you've You've, you've mastered the kindness factor. And not that you do it, uh, again, from manipulation or persuasion. You just do it because that's who you are. You know, and I, and I think that's what really comes across. So every time I see your post, I'm like, you know, he's very kind with his feedback, with his sharing of information, with his follow-ups. Uh, but you're very consistent also. Tell me how you're able to generate or how do you keep yourself consistent in what you do? Because you're very consistent. That's, that's, that's a big part of this. So... I don't think I've ever been diagnosed with ADD, but my wife tells me I have it. So I, mm -hmm. I trust it, right? right? But I think I have to take so many breaks that instead of just taking a break and doing nothing, I just take a break and do something else. So I can work all day as long as I separate, split up what I'm doing. So it's not like I have to go relax and take a nap for 10 minutes. I can work for 50 minutes and then go on LinkedIn for 10 minutes and then work for 50 minutes and then go on LinkedIn for 10 minutes. And that gives me the space and the breath to refocus and readjust. And that's how I kind of just... I do it that way. I take my breaks while still being productive. So I guess I call them productive breaks, but it helps with my focus for sure. That's interesting. No, no. And again, you're very consistent. Uh, highlight a couple of people. And I know you probably don't want to do this, but I, but I think it's okay to do it. Highlight a couple of people that you've talked to in here that it was just like, and I'm sure there's a lot of them, if not almost everybody yeah. you talk to in here. But I mean, you know, highlight one or two pleasant surprises in this book. And oh, before you do that, I, I always like to do this. Who should buy this book? Mario, who should buy this book? <laughs> so, so that's a very tricky question, right? But I think the person that should buy it is somebody that ha knows somebody else in sales and give it to him as a gift. Nice. That's who should buy it. But Okay, why? Why? Why should they give it as a gift? What is the purpose be or the intent behind the gift? So most of the time, if you receive a gift from somebody, you're more likely to read it because you want to then talk to them the next time and tell them, thank you, I read the book, I appreciated it, right? And so I think the book is more likely to get read if it's given as gifts to people. So a VP of sales buying it for his sales team as a Christmas gift, or a mother whose son just got a, his first, her, their son's first sales jobs and give it to him as a gift, right? So that's why I think, just because I think it'll get read more often that way. Because I buy lots of books that I don't read them all the way or read them all the way through, because I bought it. But if anytime someone has given me a book, I've read the whole thing. So that's kind of where that idea came from. But who should read the book? The, actually, the best feedback I've gotten so far is from people not in sales. They say, oh, I've always hated salespeople. I didn't know this was the process or this is because I gave a few people early copies and they're saying, hey, this has really helped me. They're project managers and they're saying, hey, this has really, really helped me do my project management job better. So I'm learning how to sell because I'm not in sales. And so I think this book is foundational, right? For So anybody in sales could read it and benefit, but especially people who are either new to sales or don't think of themselves as people in sales, they could probably benefit even more than other people.
Dude, I love I love that, man. I truly love that. The fact that it's a sales book, but the people that really enjoy it, people are not in sales. That's a great sales pitch. I don't care what you say. So, so hi- highlight a couple of people in here that you know it was just interesting. Maybe you know just just an experience. I, I never talked to this person. I talked to them. They were different, or they said this, and I never thought about it. Give me a couple of those aha moments. Yeah. So Skip Pritchard is a Wall Street Journal bestselling author. I've loved his stuff. He wrote the book of mistakes. It's really good. He's a CEO of a pretty huge company. Mm-hmm. And I didn't think I would get a real response. I sent him a message saying I like his stuff, blah, blah, blah. And he called me back. Uh, he found my cell phone. I didn't even give him my cell phone number. He found my cell phone number. I guess he had seamless AI or you know, like Zoom info mm-hmm. and had a way to get my number. He called me on my cell phone and started talking to me. And so that was really interesting and really neat that he was that proactive to just give me a call on the phone. Like I thought that was pretty. So so you sent him, let's walk through the process because it's almost like an outreach program. So it's also a teachable moment. What did you do? So, okay. How did you find him? And then how did you reach out to him? So the first time I reached out to him, I I write a yearly top 10 list of the top 10 books I read that year that I think other people should read. Right. Um, And it's lots of different topics. And his book made the list one year. So then I sent him an email saying, hey, I, wrote, I, I, uh, I loved your book and I put it in this top 10 list. And then he responded saying thanks and that was it. Then a couple of years later, I said, hey, I'm quoting you in my new book and I just thought you should know and I'd love to um, get your support of the book if I could. So it was, a, it was almost an ask. It was, it was an ask, but it was a soft ask. And then that's when he called. So it was like after the second communication, he just decided I'm just going to call him on the phone. Right. What I, what I love about this, again, for you, it's like, yeah, that's, it's an easy sequence because that's, that's you. But I think for people listening is that, again, we'll go back to the kindness factor. The kindness factor or the recognition factor is that you mentioned this book in the top 10. And I know that you do this all the time because you do it with me. Say, hey, Victor, I mentioned you in this article. Hey, Victor, I, men- I put your book on this list. And I think that's a, it's a way of saying I appreciate you. I'm letting you know I did this, right? And I know because I know you, Mar, you're not doing that with an intent of, I'll ask you for something later. Or I want something back. That's not who you are. It just turns out you happen to be writing a book and then you're going to use the quote because you really like the book. So I think yeah. that was really cool. I, I think that's that comes from giving first, you know, yeah. and, I, and I think you're very good at that. Thank you. Yeah. It's something that you have to find the balance of doing it for the right reasons and also doing it because you want to. But if you do it so much, if you it's kind of like that seven to one rule. Some people say five to one. Some people say 10 to one, where if you're giving compliments or negative criticism, you try to have the compliments outweigh the negative criticism. And I don't do a good job of this, especially at home, like with my family, but I know like in my head, you should do it more, but it's the same with giving and asking. The more you give, if it's five to one, 10 to one, then when you do ask, then there's, it's, it's a, it's an easy no brainer for everybody involved. Yeah. It's almost like the emotional bank, right? You're depositing yeah. every time you do it. But you're not doing it with the intent. I think this is the, it's a subtle difference. You're not doing it with the intent of manipulating and then asking for something. If yeah. down the road something happens and you probably need something or maybe want to ask for a favor, there's an ask, then you do it. But it isn't with the, the malice intent. Give me somebody else who you thought was uh, interesting as well. Yeah, Jeb Blount, who wrote the Jeb Blount, who wrote the forward. It was really interesting to meet him. Um, I met him at a conference, and then we met in an airport randomly uh, at the lounge in the Delta Lounge. Uh, I think it was the Dallas airport where we met. Mm. Um, but yeah, he. I thought based on the number of books he sells, right, and the number of conferences he gives, that it would be a lot harder to talk to him. And he was really, really easy to talk to. 
And then he said, hey, if you ever want me to help you write a forward for your next book. I wasn't even planning on writing a book, but that's what got my ID. He said, oh, if you ever want me to write a forward for your book, let me know. And I wasn't even ever planning on writing a book at that time. So even like the first four or five years I was posting on LinkedIn, I wasn't planning on writing a book. And that kind of sparked it as well. So it was kind of, it was, it was a, it's, it's interesting how one comment by one person can change Mm -hmm. everything, right? Yeah. And by the way, big shout out to Jeb Blunt over at Sales Gravy. Also, Outbound Conference, him and Anthony Norino and Mark Hunter. Because uh, I think that's where you probably, was that the first time you met Jeb? Like two years ago, maybe three years ago now? Yeah, yeah. I went to, well, no, I actually went there because I was working with them online. I actually started really admiring Anthony Inarino first. Hmm. Well, after you, right? But right. he was, uh, I, I started... Um, working with Anthony, like just supporting his books and stuff. Sure. And then he said, Hey, I'm going to this conference in Las Vegas sales 3.0 put on by Gerhard Gershwander. Yeah. And so I went to that conference and there's where I really met Anthony. And I think Mark Hunter was there and I met Mark Hunter for the first time. And so that's kind of how that whole process started. Yeah. Gerhard Gershwander selling power magazine. He was, by the way, he gave me uh, a little known fact when I was an unknown back in 2008, Maybe that far back. Maybe, no, no, 2004. 2004, he featured me in his magazine. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I have a soft spot for Gerhard. It's like, you know, he helped me on the come up, as they say. So, you know, nice. uh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm doing an event for him next week because uh, he's such a cool guy. So, you know, oh, big shout good. out to him. Yeah. And so, yeah, Anthony and Arena, if you haven't checked out his book, check out his book. Uh, I, I like Anthony. He's very cerebral yeah. when it comes to strategy. Smart. He, yeah, super yeah. smart. I mean, you say he might. By the way, reminds me of Lex Luthor. Is it Lex Luthor? Not Lex Luthor. Not, who's the guy from the X Men? Yeah, yeah, Captain Professor X. Professor right? X. You remind me of Professor X. You know, he just got the brain machine going. He's just like I can see everything. Yeah, if you could apply half of what Anthony teaches, you'd be the best salesperson at any company you work for. If you could just apply half is, of it. You know, you know, I, I can say this because I, I told Anthony this. His con- his content is so saturated, so heavy, so dense. That I I, told, I I saw him do a keynote. Uh, I think it was that two years ago, three years ago, and the first time I saw him do a keynote, and he asked me, you know, what'd you think? And I said, dude, with the content of that one keynote, I could make three keynotes because it was so much content. You're like, brain is like, ow, stop. Uh, yeah. Man, he's a super smart guy. So check out Anthony Inarino, Jeb Blunt, Mark Hunter, uh, and also Mike Weinberg as well. Yeah. Great content uh, drivers, man. Any final words about the book, man? For the folks listening in on this podcast. And again, the title is, No One Really Cares About You. They, they Only Care About What You Can Do For Them by Mario McCracken. Man. <laughs> yeah, so the real title is really care for them. But in sales, they don't care about you, right? In, in personal relationships, they do. People care about you. That's the truth. But in sales, your customer doesn't care about you. They care about what you do for them. And that's the results you have to drive. So if you have that mindset of how can I help them have results – and I care enough to give them those results, then you'll figure out a way to get it done. There's millions of ways to sell, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you on this one. You tell me if I'm right or wrong. It's not a challenge. It's more, I'm gonna make a statement. You tell me if I'm screwed or I'm just, I, I got it right. One of the two. So back in the day, because I'm a little, just a little older than you, right? You know, the, it was pre-internet. We could always say that. You know, the the, the seller had all the information, right? Yeah. Consumer didn't have the information, so, uh, so the buyers were willing to listen to the actual seller, right? Yeah. Fast forward today, you know, depending on whose data you believe, buyers are 50, 60, 70, 80% into the buying cycle, whatever it may be. I think that relationship selling is overstated. 
in this sense, that a customer doesn't care about having a relationship with you until you can demonstrate that you can do something for them. And as a result of what you can do for them, they'll want to have a relationship with you. 100%. Yep. It's so much harder to build effective relationships. And the way to do that, though, is through stories, right? You tell the best story about them be their future self or somebody that's exactly like them and you tell them how they could become like that by applying the right principles or strategies or technology or whatever it is, then they see themselves in that role. They imagine themselves and they see you as the person to help them. Then they'll want a relationship with you. And then the relationship becomes so much more important. So all of my best professional relationships over the last like five, six years have come after the decision was, okay, I want to pursue this relationship. Usually, yeah, you're right. It used to be before we pursue the relationship and then business. Now we pursue the business value, then the relationship. But you need both. It's just the order is different. And you hit it spot on, Big Vic. Yeah, I think, I think the, the sequence is different. Mario, on that note, thank you very much. Uh, where can they find more information about you, Mario? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm the only Mario with an E and the last name McCracken. So only Mario McCracken out there. Again, get the book. No one really cares about you. They only care about what you do for them. This is Victor Antonio signing off. Check me out on all the different channels. Leave me some feedback, especially on this. I'll pass it on tomorrow. Also, when you get a chance, check out the Sales Velocity Academy. On that note, this is Victor Antonio with my man Mario. Always reminding you, selling ain't hard when you know how. Take care.